Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of horse riding, the show of activism, environment, and whiskey, and George Dickel whiskey to be exact. Today we chat with the general manager of the Dickel Distillery, Miss Nicole Austin. We talk about her life starting in Kings County, starting in other project management fields, and how whiskey brought everything together. And we also talk about the newly released Dickel bottled and bond a 13-year-old brilliant Tennessee whiskey that you want to get your hands on. So, without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Nicole Austin. It was a big engineering firm, so it was one of those like global firms. That was, yeah, you know, fifty thousand engineers around the world, Jeez. and it was cool. I learned a lot. Um, but like any, if you're an engineer who can also make words with your mouth, yeah. you know, they're like project manager. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you're, so, I don't have to keep you in a box as an yeah. engineer, right? Yeah. So actually, you're gonna go off and be like more of a project manager and very quickly morphed from doing actual engineering, which I found really interesting, to doing like budget management and writing change orders and client management. It's the stuff that's less fun. RFPs, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Uh, Exactly. And I realized there was nobody above me whose job that I wanted. You know, you get a few promotions and you're really excited and proud of yourself because you're young and you're like, really jazzed on it because the money's bound to be pretty good at that point i think so i mean i was living in brooklyn so no money is enough money (laughs) but um you know i was i was happy and then but kind of turned around and realized that where was i going because i didn't want to be any of the people that were in front of me yeah and uh, i was at a bar uh, actually at char number four i don't know if you ever got to go it was this amazing whiskey bar in brooklyn it's since closed but Um, I was trying different whiskeys and just discovering that and really excited about it. And one of the bartenders was talking to me about how this particular whiskey was distilled. Actually, it was a Kalila 12-year-old. I'll always remember it. So he he said something about how it was distilled. And I just had that, holy fuck, I know how to distill things. That's literally what I went to college for. Why didn't anybody tell me? It was just obvious. It's like, okay, that's that's the thing I should be doing. Was it? Fear kind of stifles us sometimes, and it kind of prevents us from doing perhaps things that would make us greater. But for you, did that even cross your mind? Or are you such a passionate person that it didn't matter about the money? It didn't matter about being scared. I did honestly. There, were, I, fear never really, no, never really came into it for me. I mean, I didn't quit my day job until I felt some sense that I could uh, continue okay. to pay my Brooklyn rent. Yeah. Um. So I didn't. I knew I was passionate about it. And I guess I was quite confident in myself. You know, I was 24 and I was sure. like, I'm definitely going to be able to get a job in this industry. You know, why wouldn't I? <laughs> um, I was a little sassy. Sure. And no, fear, fear never came into it. I was, 
I, you know, I didn't, I didn't quit until I knew I was ready. Right. And it was actually Dave Pickerel who, um, brought me on to his consulting company. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I had that kind of guaranteed salary that would be, it wasn't enough, you know, it was right, still a big right. step down, but I figured I could, you know, at least make ends meet and, and survive. I think that, so this is a great question for, as, from the entrepreneurial piece of it, right? That we all have a two, basically two choices ultimately if we're working and a lot of people are in tech and people in engineering, right? And I read stories that go both ways. Yeah. But some say, no, just quit your job, go all in. But I never wanted to do that. I always let the one thing fund the other. It takes a lot of privilege to be able to take a jump like that. It you does, know, you yeah. have to either have faith that someone's going to catch you if it really blows up or decide that you fundamentally don't care like, yeah. how you live. And I think that's a pretty rare person. I think so, too. And that's, you know, this is kind of like the Forbes articles and things that are like the only way to be successful, which that is always... The worst title. There's no ever. only There's way. Not- <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, man, I know it's a tough. Uh, I mean, it's fear wasn't a factor for me, but I have a I have a strong risk aversion. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was I never felt like I was really taking a massive risk. Yeah, um, that's you know, good. That's very calculated. Mean, that's I think we're both like, ambitions kind of does that for you. Yeah. You know, wanting greater things and never want wanting to stop. All right. So we started, you know, we're going to talk through three of these beautiful decal marks, but it all starts with us being unaged mm-hmm. and experienced in a sense. And we're submitting the decal white now. Mm-hmm. Is white dog a good term for it, unaged? What do you guys prefer? Uh, so I would call it a corn whiskey. Okay. Um, you can, unaged whiskey, white dog, uh, those are all super usable terms. Uh, we It's the number one is what we call it in our yeah. portfolio. So the decal number one. Chapter one. Chapter one. Tell me that's not like poetic phrasing right there as we talk about. <laughs> but I mean, this is... A, I love this whiskey. Because if it's bad here, it's bad everywhere else, right? Well, that's why... So this whiskey is part of what convinced me to take this role because oh. you can never know as an entire warehouse worth of whiskey in the you know 24-hour period that I was there before right. I took this job. But if the white whiskey is this good, you can feel a certain amount of confidence that what's in those warehouses you know, is, yeah. is of quality. It's, there's nothing to hide there. The, you know? That's the thing about Dickel is it's like an unsung hero for me. A lot of people don't. So it's just, like, it's underrated. Huge. You know I mean? But it has. This Not even place. underrated, under aware. Yeah, under aware, like, like a sleeper. Yes, right? very much. And very I, much. I think that we'll talk about this as you trans, as you had transitioned to the role, but I think that there is a, it's the, the second coming of Dickel in a way. I hope so. You know, and I think there's kind of a phoenix kind of aspect here because there's so. historical relevance to it in all of this. But talking about when it starts out, you got something to work with, right? Yeah. So this predilection towards engineering and chemistry and all of that. So are you a New York native? Is yeah, upstate New York. Upstate New York. Yeah, Syracuse. And this kind of science influence and maybe math, you know, you also seem like you can communicate. So there's some maybe creative stuff in there too. Like, where does this come from? Do you are you folks in the engineering science industries? No, um, not all. My mom's in retail, uh, but she always had this incredibly good sense of like just being comfortable with math and yeah. being comfortable. She was very, um, you know, one of those people who can look at a room and tell you the measurements of everything in it to down to the inch and. Uh, you know, move stuff around and do kind of DIY home projects and just execute them really, really well. Yeah. And she was really engaged with me when I was young with, 
you know, baking, which is chemistry in your home, yeah. you know, and um, really teaching me about that and making me feel comfortable with it and putting up with my like funny science experiments when I was a little kid, you know, <laughs> um, and just, I was, I was really privileged to have parents and family like that. Like yeah. you can absolutely, you're capable of doing this. Did you have a non-science creative side as well? Did you ever write? Oh, I tried or? desperately, but I you was tried. absolutely terrible at all of them. <laughs> Pick up a guitar. I want, I, oh, I wanted to so <laughs> bad. All of my like best friends in high school were musicians and artists yeah. and I tried my hand at everything. I would show up in art classes and try to draw, and the poor art teacher would be like, "Maybe it's best you, you know, maybe it's best you stick to math." And I tried. My best friend in high school was a drummer. I tried to learn. Like, no, nah, that's just, one. That's I, one area where it could work for engineers. Oh, I tried. Yeah, I thought so. It's like rhythm, yeah. music patterns. Makes I understand sense. these things. I tried photography because that's basically chemistry art, sure, right? Yeah. No, mm-mm, no, no, I'm real bad. I'm real, real bad. So. <laughs> Art, you know, whiskey's the closest an engineer can come if your skill is math yeah. to making art, you know? You know, I think about inspiration too, because you can get everything right on paper yeah. with whiskey, but that still doesn't mean you have the heart to make it. And know? well, it's chaotic. There is no everything right on paper still doesn't tell you all of the answers. Right. You know, like we don't, there's, what's the phrase, right? That like any system sufficiently complex is indistinguishable yeah. from magic, right? everything about whiskey is sufficiently complex that although we know some things incredibly well, they're never the totality of what's happening, you know? And so you always will have to just get experience and learn and sort of have that like passion about it. Absolutely. So going into, because obviously for science, it would make sense and it feels maybe, did you feel any obligation to do the academic piece, which you did at Manhattan? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you, but you were wanted to. I, yeah, absolutely. Um, my my high school guidance counselor is either a genius or terrible, and I still don't know. <laughs> but basically, she implied, you know, when you're having that meeting of like, what are you gonna do next? Yeah. Um, you know, and I just took the two things I was good at, chemistry and math. Gosh, go be a chemical engineer because those two words. Right. And she's implied strongly that I didn't have the discipline to really like see that degree through, and I should sort of dial down my expectations. Really. Like, F you, lady, you know, like, I'll show you. Yeah. Either she's terrible or great because I, you know, I rallied against it. Exactly. It's like, F you. And, you know, I like to think that she was actually really good at her job and, like, patting her back. I'm like, yeah, uh, patting herself on the back for motivating me to, like, stick with it. It's a punk rock anthem kind of thing, right? Where it's like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Right. You're sure not going to tell me what not to do. Right. Dead right. I'm going to (laughs) go suffer through this incredibly challenging (laughs) curriculum just to stick it to the man. You know, oddly enough, that's how many of my relationships have been. Mm. Just to tell myself I could do it. And I was, you know, I was loudly of that attitude. So maybe she was a genius teenage manipulator. You'll never know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say, you know. But the experience in academia, it's very lab based, I imagine, right? Uh, my school is very practical, and that's yeah. one of the reasons I chose it. So even the labs are very like um, kind of mini industrial sized. You yeah. know, not like not bench scale beakers, but like small pumps, small pipes, small valves. Mm. Um, I really loved it. It was very practical. Um, I, I liked the education part of it very I, much. I would have stayed in academia, except that's a terrible career. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you. Sp- well, that's a whole other conversation. It's but no it, fun at all. It's not fun to not practice the things that you learned. Yeah. There, right. Get them yeah. to good use. Did you feel like there was a particular outcome from academia that you would have to teach or that you would have to do these kinds of engineering jobs? Did you feel painted in a corner at all? I wanted to, I mean, I like if I had not cared about the kind of life I lead, I wanted to just do math. 
Yeah. You know, but I didn't want to go work for insurance. I didn't want to be a teacher. So we had to pick something else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Um, something practical. And everyone always said chemical engineering, like you can do anything. You know, chemical engineers go and work for financial firms and they go and work in business. And, you know, I told you, like, you can do anything. So if you don't know what you want to do, then do this. Makes sense. Upstate move to Manhattan. Was that an easy one for you? Oh, I was so excited. I was a young high school punk rocker. I got to move (laughs) to the big city. You know, wait, so you were a punk rocker. Oh, for sure. Tell me who, because I, you know, if you ever give me talk about music, I always have to go down that path with you. Know, it's been like 25 years since Sleater Kenny's album came out. Like, can you realize how old we are? That that's it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There was, mm-hmm. man, there was something, uh, there was, and I know this isn't punk rock, but there was a Bjork, I think it was Jura or Jura, that particular single. Yeah. And I realized it was 20 years old. And I was in high school and it came out. I'm yeah. Like, oh, crap. Oh, what is happening? But so for mm-hmm. who? Gave you your punk rock mantra. Who were some people that were influencing you? Uh, well, there was this big Syracuse punk band called Earth Crisis. Oh, I I saw them in the mid nineties. Yeah. So well, so they you know they were already big when yeah. I was like coming into high school. Isn't so. Snapcase from like Buffalo or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So the Syracuse scene, you know, like Trustkill Records yeah, and Elfest, yeah. like that was already going when I was coming into the age where I would care about those things. So. Um, I was pretty fortunate to be able to just kind of like plug into this scene that was already pretty established. That is, here's ironically too, is a very anti-alcohol scene. Well, the Earth- church changed real quick though. I mean, it? it became like a running joke just a couple of years later about how many people with like X tattooed on Earth- their hands were, you know, holding beers. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. Just, it's a hard thing to maintain. Did, did, that, did you ever align to straight edge? No. I told my mom I did. <laughs> <laughs> works for a bit is it <laughs> no i didn't you know if you're really a rebel you don't want to like right i didn't want to fit with anybody yeah you do what you want to do dead right you want to do it can't tell me what to do man well that's i mean if those are the kind now just to extrapolate mm-hmm. those are the kinds of bands that moved you probably literally and very much figuratively right those, those pits are brutal man i got punched in a couple of those earth crisis pits but it means you're probably prepared to never take no for an answer I like to think that that was a I'm you know beneficial use of my teen years to yeah. really, I guess, be comfortable like sitting outside of the norm and it's, I think, folks that have easy like coming up and easy teen years don't get the tools to figure out how to deal with challenges. So yeah. I feel really lucky like, that I came up in that kind of group and you know, even just caring about things like social justice and being aware and conscious of a world beyond yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. I guess really thought I knew a lot more than I actually knew. And I was a real prick about it, but (laughs) still at least it opens the door to the idea that maybe you should care about more than just like what's going on in your tiny world. And I'm really grateful for that. I think that's a really good sentiment. I think that whiskey is a very worldly category, right? And in agriculture and like the savior of american like high quality agriculture that's Mm -hmm. not just commodity based and the idea of rural manufacturing and i mean it's to me hugely important brings a lot of economic stability to so many folks that wouldn't have had it our workers at dickel are unionized oh really Mm -hmm. that's brilliant i didn't Mm -hmm. realize that Mm -hmm. we've got the um the uh union symbol on the label no kidding corner yeah man so they're when you got a bride in that you talk about the Kings County part, right? Mm-hmm. Which is really the first foray fully into this whole kind of industry, you know? One, 
Did you have any kind of early relationship with whiskey? And I'm not suggesting that you're drinking underage or anything like that, but just any kind of... Of course not. <laughs> drink responsibly, everybody. Maybe 21 <laughs> or older. No. But was it something that you were around socially? Like, yeah. Oh, I, I, I thought it made you a real badass, right? Yeah. I was intrigued by the allure, right? It was, it was always something intriguing Yeah. yeah when I came into drinking. Especially whiskey. Yeah. It's mysterious. Yeah. It's sophisticated right it makes you like mm, like you're a lady that's ordering whiskey like right. you must be intriguing yeah it's not a bad way to start a conversation with someone it worked for me so why whiskey over maybe things like brandy or gin when you were starting i think that's what was available right so uh you know i i drank plenty of vodka soda splash of crayons in yeah. my lifetime in the early 20s so like i wasn't too good for it but yeah. um you know whiskey with like rocker culture was very involved so to me yeah. that was quite a natural way to go i didn't know anything about gin for years you know yeah. that it even sort of existed as a category and tequila to me was like a well-shot product because you know you're 22 right. i didn't know anything understanding of it so whiskey because whiskey is always whiskey right you go yeah. in it's, it's the finest cocktail you ever have Absolutely. no one has to prepare it it's already like that in the glass how was the learning process with the feds with the local government and oh, starting man. that distillery. Oh, well, so they, when I joined Kings County, they had already gone through that process, mm. right? So I found them right after there was a little announcement about them getting their DSP. And that mm. was the first DSP to be granted in New York City since Prohibition. And I had already, for about a year and a half, been trying to get into the industry. And so when I saw that, um, I was like, all right, this is it. I'm living in Brooklyn, they're in Brooklyn. And I just went, so the very first day that they ever sold uh, a drop of alcohol, I showed up and in my like punky little 24-year-old self, it's like, I'm a chemical engineer. You're welcome. You know, like, I will work for you now. And they were kind of like, okay. How'd they, how'd they take that? I mean, they were like, cool. We have no idea what we're doing. Like, that couldn't hurt, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and like, we don't have any money, though, to pay you. And I that's fine. You know, I'd rather have sweat equity anyways, sure. like make me a partner and um, that was the beginning of all of that, and it was uh, to me. It was, I don't know. That was it was very exciting to be in the beginning. I didn't really get deep into the regulatory stuff until a little bit later. That's the worst part. Well, well, I find it really. I find it of, exciting, of course, actually. Right? Yeah. No, I'm into it. I mean, so we. I was the founding president of the New York City Distillers Guild, and you know, I. I so. Also from that punk rock background, right? Yeah. I believe community organizing is really important. Do you have a zine Solid. when you were younger? I did, sure did. Did you sure make did. your own zine? Of course I did. Tell me what it was called. <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> um, well, we started, so I have found, uh, actually there's a group in my old high school that still exists that was called Acceptance Coalition. What? Um, but now they're like, an, it was like an LGBT focused yeah, uh, yeah. group. They're now like an anti-bullying group, but whatever, they still exist. Like, yeah. We published a zine in college. I, you know, community organizing is, you're stronger together. It's, I'm really passionate I, about that. I do agree. And I, I did a ton. That's when I really got into the minutia and realized that that work could be so impactful across so many people's lives. You, mm -hmm. know, you get a law passed and it there are so many businesses that are profitable you know because of that work yeah. that that's a legacy even if i got hit by a bus tomorrow you know this industry in new york and like nationally my work is a part of how healthy it is and that's really really satisfying 
So I got into it, but yeah, it's hugely complicated. Not it's, as bad as people think, though. It's not it's possible. Not, uh, no, right. I, I wouldn't say you should let it be an obstacle that you can't surmount. Because you can. It's, Clearly. It's, I mean, we've I've been working in this for less than a decade, which in the world of laws is really not that long. Right. And we've changed, dramatically changed, state and federal laws. Yeah. You know? Well, they up. saw the economic viability of this. You know, I think so. Too. Yeah. When, when we were very fortunate in Governor Cuomo in New York and like the fact that the New York Wine and Grape Foundation and the craft brewers had really sort of paved the way over mm. that more of like the 30, 40 year timeline to show what the economic benefits would be. And so we sort of just got to ride their coattails and say the word parody over and over again. <laughs> it's a very powerful word. It's so powerful. synergy. That was one from the early. Right. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's the vernacular of the time. I just, time. you know, I decided to think outside the box and find some synergy with my, uh, <laughs> with our local craft beverage In a producers. Nature, absolutely. You know, you talk about community, and of course, whiskey does have a very broad community. I think it's becoming yeah. more inclusive all the time, and more diverse, so which is great. But, you know, kind of looking at just outside of that, though, and the way that people are communicating with each other, which is kind of me versus you. Do you? How do you, does that something that's on your radar, how people, I'd say, typically use social media to kind of engage each other? Oh, it has to be on my radar, because yeah. that's how you build brands. Um, I'm. How do you fit into that, then, knowing that? Pretty you, awkwardly. Yeah. <laughs> pretty awkwardly, but I'm trying. I'm trying. I Instagram. Yeah. But you, you know, do you notice that people, I guess, is one of your aims to build community rather than have people kind of saying, well, this is right, this is wrong, this is the right kind of whiskey, this is the wrong kind of whiskey, this is good, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I, um, I've um, i evolved. So when I first got into the industry, I very much had the, like, this is right and this is wrong, and mm. I was a little bit militant about what I wanted and didn't want in whiskey. But, I mean, it sounds funny to say, like, oh, I have perspective now. Like, I've grown so much, even yeah. though it's, I've also been less than a decade, which is a tiny amount of time. Cool. But I, you know, you you evolve a little bit and realize that most of that comes from insecurity, right? Like you want to prove that you know something that somebody doesn't know, and yeah. you feel really militant about it because actually you don't know. And you get a little bit older, you get a little bit past that, and that we have generally accepted a more inclusive view, right? Yeah. And at, so I have empathy for people that still think and talk like that because I have confidence that very soon they will stop right like when they get involved enough to yeah feel more comfortable that may be one of the most insightful things anyone's ever said on the show is that <laughs> well really is you have to admit that you don't know everything and if yeah. you ever think you do yeah. game on you because you're closing yourself off to all these other things that especially in distilling it's yeah. not not everything's been done but mostly everything's been done so you always have room to learn but i yeah. i came from that same kind of punk rock attitude like no yeah. overly arrogant but then you get humble at some point i don't know was there a well, moment for you that, that encouraged that to happen or is just a natural progression i think it's a progression of when you when you have established enough success in the industry to feel confident enough in yourself that yeah. if you admit that you don't know something you know you, you know you're not going to get kicked out of the room because you have a certain amount of medals and yeah. achievements you know and um i was trying so hard to get included that you're always like no you're never willing to admit weakness you know right. you don't know something like you have to be the expert like i know so much but then once you know that you're in at a certain point you can be a little more comfortable saying oh yeah i don't know that but your way in but then then it's like okay I then can you can be comfortable you can relax a little bit and yeah. actually get a little more curious 
So yeah. for one of the things that never stops growing and evolving is our ability to taste and identify and build a vocabulary around. But you hit the nail on that with vocabulary. That's what it really is. It is. Just how do I articulate? Mm-hmm. That's why music's so helpful for me. But how did you? Yeah. I mean, and organize it in your head. Right. It's what all musical for? for me. I always put, it's just right hand on a keyboard. Mm. And that's how I build every one of the flavors. It's more of a pie music. chart, you know, but of course it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> Well, of course, I'd use a piano to somehow build tasting notes. It's a little bit on the nose, in it? But On the nose, indeed. <laughs> How did you know it was time to step away from, the, from Kings County, from that distillery? For me, well, we had a bit of a class of personalities, right? So I think we knew pretty early on that it wasn't going to be the, like, forever home. Yeah. It was just the sort of the... We weren't all rowing the boat in the same direction. You know, the long-term visions for the company and, like, what we really valued Mm -hmm. professionally weren't the same. And we all kind of knew that early on, but we all also needed each other, right? Like, I I really valued Kings County for the experience that I got, and I needed that relationship to... Because it was an industry that I desperately wanted to be in, and I cared Mm -hmm. a lot about that whiskey. And they needed people who were willing to work for very little money all the time, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we needed each other. And, but we all, I think, always knew that, like, the everything was going to grow better if we all went off and did our own things. So it had to break up. Yeah, but it wasn't uncomfortable. I was excited to, you know, I got the opportunity with William Grant. I mean, to me, that was, it was just so exciting. You know, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. How many grain distilleries are going to be built brand new from the ground up in my lifetime? Probably not that many. So to be there for that, was such a, you couldn't say no, you know, move to Ireland, like the Mecca of whiskey and horses, the two things you love the most. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sign me up. Um, and they were so happy. I think genuinely happy for me. And yeah. I had Ryan, who is my apprentice, who's amazing. We had worked together for years and he was more than ready for his step up and definitely didn't need me anymore. So, it you know, a great way to transition. Absolutely. Like, I knew I was leaving them in great hands. Yeah. It was good for everybody. Mm. I was, and so, you know, we talked before we were recording about your experience in Ireland. You would have stayed? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, I had within five minutes of my house, I had a pub and a castle and a stable and a distillery. Like, where else to go? Yeah. You know, why would you this, go anywhere else? I didn't realize you had a fondness for horses. When did that kind of start? Oh, since I was a kid. Yeah. I've been riding you, since I was a kid. Really? Mm. Did you ever own any horses? I did. Where? My, <laughs> my friends used to say, you're that little girl who asked for a pony and got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a pony when I was younger named Sierra. Yeah. And I had uh, an Arabian horse in high school named oh, wow. Proven Truth. And uh, leased a couple horses as an adult, started a business, so couldn't afford my incredibly expensive hobby anymore. And also, my parents weren't paying for it. I was like, damn, that was expensive. <laughs> like, sorry, mom. Um, but then when I was in Ireland, I bought a horse. Did you really? Yeah. How long were we out there? Two years. Two years. Man, you know. It's, this is a brief tangent. My mom owned a couple horses. She had a farm in, they're amazing. in New Mexico. And they're, there's something about horses that make me actually feel more connected to nature in general. Oh, they're amazing. You know, some kind of yeah. majestic piece. Which you, Do you watch Game of Thrones? I do. That's why it's hard for me to watch Game of Thrones. I can't watch scenes where, like, I still never watch that scene in Braveheart where the, you oh, know, yeah. it's a, I've, can't, it's I rough. Can't. That's one of the only reasons not to watch that show, <laughs> but because horses are so beautiful, you know. And and I'm not even like a but horse how guy. How fucked but up is it that we can watch people hack each other apart in no any movie? No problem. Let them but like out, this, right? this is like innocent pony. <laughs> no, so sad. The yeah. wolves, no, I understand. 
I understand. I understand. I feel yeah. the exact same it's, way. It's a crazy thing. All right. Well, then let's talk about Irish butter. It's the best mm, butter in the oh world, my. right? Oh, butter and all butter related products like shortbread and yeah. scones. The scones and the jelly. I the, guess it's coming. It's coming up on lunchtime. I think is what I'm talking the about. The Dunn scones. Store <laughs> Belgian chocolate shortbread. Yeah. I still dream about. It's so good. I miss the butter. I do. Too. I do. Luckily, we have Kerrygold now, which is close. I'm not sure. No, I don't know. Still not. Still on the fence about it. I'm on the fence. Okay, that's fair. So these two years in Ireland, mm-hmm. you know, a different chapter altogether. What do you think? Kind of summarizing that bit. Maybe what were some of the skills you pulled out and said, okay, well. I can check off this piece that yeah. now I didn't know before I got here. I learned a lot about um, distillery automation, oh. right? So specifically, it was a, it was a melding, right? So it was bringing my kind of two passing together, so I could then like move forward as a more coherent whole. You know, I'd been a professional engineer. I had worked on like large scale industrial construction projects. Yeah. I'd gone off and been a distiller, and this was the blending of those two roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so put like kind of making all of my skills coherent. That was really interesting. That was really big for me in that um, in that role. And then I also learned a lot about grain whiskey, which I hadn't really um, you know interacted with a ton before mm-hmm. that. And I had had a misconception going into that role that grain whiskey was basically neutral. And you know, I I I it was really eye opening for me to learn about you know how how. It's not, you know, even though it's distilled to a fairly high proof, you know, that there's quite narrow specifications for what's in there. And, um, you know, you can utilize distillation. Of course, I knew this, but hadn't really thought through to apply it, not just as a separation, but as a concentration mm-hmm. of activity. So you could really concentrate certain flavors and just deliver these like singular notes yeah. in a really clear way, as opposed to that more kind of cacophonous, like, uh, whiskeys that are those like bigger whiskeys. Yeah. So I learned a lot about that. Oh, that's really interesting. It's yeah, it was. From, it's almost like getting hyper focused. Yeah. Right. And kind of just extremely. I think we need the ten thousand foot view, right? Just yeah. Business run and all that, and what you've got. But then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to hone in on this specific thing. Yeah. Because you'll never really be able to know everything. So that's only one way to do that. And scale. You know, I learned scale. a lot about like applying like whiskey at scale. Yeah. I realized um, when that when I was commissioning it in one twelve hour shift made as much whiskey as Kings County had made in like all of 2015. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I got a sense of scale. That's a hell of a sense of scale. Isn't it? I know. But what was particularly really gave me the sense was realizing that that distillery compared to William Grant's main grain whiskey distillery Nothing. was extremely tiny, like minus a zero in, oh, wow. you know, scale. So it gave me a sense of the, the size of the ocean that I was swimming in. I mean, it's good to get perspective like that. I got a lot of perspective. What about the influences of barrels and things? Did you get a bit of a clear idea of that? I didn't interact with that hardly at all. Yeah. Um, that was one of the other things I really enjoyed about that. Like I was so hyper-focused on the distillery. I wasn't dealing with marketing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't dealing with mature stock. I mean, I got to meet some of those people and talk to them and like learn a bit from them. Yeah. But I was really, I was on the green distillery and that was it. It was kind of nice to it sounds only like have you- one job. <laughs> well, you had one job. Yeah, one job. <laughs> so this background you know you're building this real nice portfolio of skills and different ways of thinking and interesting backgrounds thinking about community mm-hmm. how did you and so this is we're gonna talk about this the, the dickel chapter the cascade hollow chapter yeah. when we went through this is, would you call it a rebranding or just a change and uh, it's not really rebranding because it's not cascade hollow isn't the brand right right, right? um but yeah it's definitely it's a change in business structure I see. really oh wow um you know, I think that's the most fundamental change. 
So let's dive into the Pentacle 12. We'll yeah, talk absolutely. Because this is old. This is established. We know it. We love mm-hmm. it. And so you're walking into something yeah. that is established. Yeah, no pressure. You know, right? Don't, don't mess it up. Do you have a um, dump? So tried and true. Mm-hmm. Pentacle 12. Pentacle 12. So this new chapter starts about how long have you now been involved with Cascade Hall? It's exactly a year as oh, brilliant. of yesterday. So we yeah. can just say that if we go back in time just a little bit, you're yeah. celebrating a one-year anniversary. Cheers yeah. to that. Thank you. Thank you. How are you now a year later into mm. this role? Is it also been something that's highly encouraged you to evolve and adapt? Huge evolution. <laughs> yeah. yeah, huge. But I knew that going in. That's something I was really looking forward to. Yeah. I mean, a year in, I feel like. Finally, getting my bearings and getting my feet underneath me with it. I yeah. knew. Well, we talked a little bit earlier about the commercial marketing sales side of whiskey, which yeah. I really didn't understand. And when I was in my more militant days, used to scoff at. You know, yeah. um, I of course you wanted wrote about to, it in the zine. Oh, and, oh, yeah, for sure, absolutely. <laughs> I was definitely zining about. Now, I, you know, I was very. You know, you, I lived in that world where I like to believe that my whiskey being good was yeah, all that mattered. Of course. Realized eventually that, of course, that is not true at all. And that if I really wanted to be in this industry for a lifetime, yeah. that I needed to understand the sales side of the business. So that's been a huge learning curve for me with Dickel. Mm. Um, you know, understanding the commercial side, the sales side, you know, and the extremely complex regulatory environment that we live in on that side is it's been a big big learning sorry i'm kind of stunned <sighs> by how good this smells is it Dude, like talk just... about a sleeper whiskey right yeah it's so complex it's so layered right first you know something that's right in that like 25 dollar range yeah. you know well it's weird because i've been sampling a bunch of whiskey lately and tasting yeah. about and talking about the tasting of it sure and there's something that's really unique here that is desserty but it is kind yeah. of coffee cakey kind of thing, but it's something else in between. There's something, so it's been described to me as like a Flintstone vitamin kind oh, of note. I know, yeah. Right, you know what I'm talking about? I'm and thinking, but I, I feel like more. There's like a lot under there. Almond biscotti is what I Yeah, that it, kind of nutty thing. and yeah. almost a little bit like, I mean, you'll see this more in the, the next one we get to, but mm. there's that little bit like leathery, mm-hmm. um, you know, rich undertone and like the... Even that little bit of anything with whiskey is always going to have that slightly solventy character because it's alcohol. Mm-hmm. But when it translates almost more, it's like that like saddle soap kind of like mature. Um, now, now we're revealing the tasting notes. Obviously, it's come from your own head, right? It's yeah, like yeah. Totally. That... But I mean, it's it's so pleasurable. Mm. Put it that way. I think people don't really understand how delicious this is. You know, there's something because they're it's sweet. They're drinking yeah. other good stuff. I get that. Mm-hmm. But there's something about this that is a little more consoling for me it's a little more embracing it's got this warmth and kind of romantic nature to it whiskey know? is romantic well, all of it, it is, is right but some of it puts me at odds whereas this is like nah come on yeah bring I mean, it. let's let's this is it kind of thing it's it gives you a sense of time mm. right okay. like and the passage of time and um it's uh, i think i think this is a really beautiful whiskey for the and, price this is oh, it's, dude you, it's unbeatable you can't even yeah i, I mean this is so i get you know Again, sipping through all these whiskeys and trying stuff of all price levels, this tastes like at least twice that. You yeah, know? I mean, and it was you know like we because because we were kind of a sleeper brand for a long time. You know, we didn't run out of stock. Oh, 
I didn't know that. So, you know, I, I think so many people face that question of, because whiskey's a, whiskey's a forward planning game, right? I have a 20-year sales plan, yeah, right? Because like, you have to. Because right. I'm laying down whiskey today that I'm not going to sell for maybe 15 years. Mm-hmm. So you have to have at least a vague sense of how much of it you're going to need, which talk about also learnings over the last <laughs> year and how to like put that together at a big you know consumer goods company. Yeah. But so you, you have to make a guess, right? And nobody guesses exactly right. So, but you always kind of assume growth, right? You want to be prepared for mm-hmm. a certain amount of growth. And if we were kind of steady humming along, well, then you have a little bit of excess. Yeah, right. And it's a really privileged position to be in compared to I think, a lot of other brands that there's the growth in bourbon whiskey caught a lot of people by surprise. Absolutely. And they were, you know, having to empty their warehouses to meet the demand. So talking about how this opportunity came about, you're part of this brand now. Yes, my name is above the distillery. <laughs> See, well, I, but in the way that we, in a way, the narrative has changed. Yes. You're part of that narrative now, I think, for yes. all the right reasons. In the lineup of oil paintings, my face right. will always be in it. <laughs> have they, have they, what, oh, what's the word? Have they petitioned for a oil painting of you yet? To be- you know, I like, I, I kind of secretly want to, like. <laughs> But uh, no, not as yet. We don't have that. But like so many other distilleries that I've been in, you know, they always have that, right? It's like the wall of oh, distillers. Man. So, were you ready for this kind of visibility? Um, yeah, I, had a, I mean, I had a fair bit of visibility yeah, I mean, with Kings County. Right. You know, like, I mean, we were in New York, so there's a lot of media there. That's so, um, I got to, I got more than I deserved in my like earlier career. So, so it was really um, kind of. By no yeah. means a parallel move, but in terms of visibility, it didn't seem like it was more pressure on you. Mm-mm. How did you get, How did you guys meet? With so Dickel, how did you guys meet? Uh, I got called by a headhunter, mm-hmm. and I basically tried to give my job away. Um, I thought she was calling me because I have so many connections in the industry, and she's telling me about this job. Oh. And my initial response was, "Oh, I can definitely help you find somebody." You know, like I know so many people. Like I'm sure I can. Because that's me, right? I'm like, oh, of course yeah. I'll help you. And it wasn't, she you know, took her a few minutes to stop my role of like naming people who I think are amazing for her to say, no, 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 we want you. <laughs> what? She's like super too humble for this thing, <laughs> right? like, what? What do you mean? Like, what? Really? Me? Yeah. You sure? What? Um, so yeah, I tried to get my job away. <laughs> How long did but- it take? from that first phone call to actually it moved really quick because yeah. at that time we were just getting ready to turn the grain distillery on oh. and i basically told them like look if you i want to see the distillery because i had never been to dickel so you had, i wanted to see if i was going to take the role and um basically i had two weeks you know it's like you have to get me there in the next couple of weeks otherwise i'll be on call 24 hours i can't leave yeah. ireland and so they i mean talk about uh, embracing the entrepreneurial attitude they they scrambled to find a way to get me on a plane to get to Tennessee, you know, in like less than two weeks to get over there to see the distillery. I was in there for 24 hours, you know, like interviewed with a bunch of folks in Norwalk, like went to the distillery, you know, turned around and went home. And for, I think for, for them laying that much out, they were all sort of like, well, we need to make a commitment or not. And so it moved really quick. That's great. Sometimes people, they are in limbo for weeks just to figure out their fate. Mm-mm. Was it very fast? How difficult was it leaving Ireland, though? Personally, it was really difficult, yeah. um, and also logistically, it was really difficult. I had a cat and a dog and a horse. <laughs> um, it was challenging. Yeah, it was very challenging, but and I, I loved it. I really did think I was going to maybe set up a life there. Yeah. Um, 
so it was a kind of rough mental adjustment. Of course. Any relationships that you had to bring over or break apart? <sighs> yeah, and there's, I, I kept, you, you meet a lot of folks, like, you know, you spend time in Ireland, yeah. the people are so friendly and like, um, you know, they really make you a part of their family right away. Quick. <laughs> yeah. It's a sense of community, um, you know. Yeah, it was hard to leave. Sorry, I'm still smelling this. It, it's, it keeps it's opening so up. I know, Ugh. and it develops. It gives you all the things you want in a whiskey. It's, right. It's, you keep that going you back. <laughs> keep going back. It's offering more. Like, what do you think makes this so special? Then, now that you're at this, the helm of this thing, I'm so I'm still on a journey of yeah. trying to investigate that. Like, um, you know, and really get to the bottom of like where exactly in the distillery the Dickel character lives. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm thinking a lot about that and trying to investigate that. Yeah. But what I think makes 12 special in particular is the incredible care that goes into blending it. So um, I think a lot of whiskeys are, they tend to have fairly simple recipes, right? You know, it's like, this is a four-year-old, five-year-old, 10-year-old, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but this whiskey is a pretty thoughtfully constructed blend of um, a lot of different lots of varying ages. And so it kind of acts almost a little bit more like the, like the blended whiskey, right? Where, flavors are layered in with a lot of conscious effort mm -hmm. um, and a lot of past credit. I'm only just getting involved in that process because we're on a bit of a yearly cycle. So credit for this whiskey at this moment mostly goes to Ebony Major and Andrew Mackay, who yeah. are the blenders for um, for Diageo. And they're, they spend a huge amount of time and effort to, to execute that. I just realized what I've been tasting this whole time. What? Toasted coconut. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. That's what that's yeah. what it was because I kept. It's got dessert. that slightly drying character. Right, right. Yeah, that's what maybe because there's coconut biscotti. Maybe that's mm -hmm. what I was thinking because it's like dry and nutty and and also but that fatty tropical yeah. fat kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, it's a bit of both of those things. It's a complex whiskey. It's hard to really. Down. Well, that's what's fun is that I don't feel it'll keep being a conversation piece. Yeah, and I'll get there. You know, you can't force like honing your message, right? Like right. by the end of Kings County, you know the whiskey so well for years, you can summarize it in like three words. Yeah. You know, that's but. You get to the essence of it, but you got to get to know it. So right. I don't really know this whiskey yet. So for me, it's still like, mm -hmm. I know I love it, but I couldn't, I couldn't put it in two words. Yeah. You know, like, what well, is Dickel? And maybe it should always be like a night on a stage between three, three people improvising, improvising every time, right? Yeah. It should, maybe it should always be something new and always something different. You know, I think you can always count I like on the idea of getting to know it very well though. Yeah. I like the idea of being like so intimate with the whiskey that I know everything about it. See, you there is mm, a history and what is it iconography to it maybe yeah yeah so now yeah, I mean, the brand's been around since 1870 like when 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 was the the heyday for dickel um turn of the century good, right? oh turn of the century yeah okay. so like the real heyday for dickel um was like late 1800s early 1900s um they had these like displays they were doing great yeah and then the 70s they did pretty well mm. yeah I still see the signs in some of those great dive bars. Mm -hmm. And I just makes me. From the Merle Haggard days. That's right. Yeah. Yes. I love those. Mm -hmm. So you've got a year in. Think about maybe two things. Yeah. I'm sure there's a hell of a list of things you want to achieve, right? But just in this near term, you're on the road, you're promoting the brand. What are two things you want people to know about Dickel as a brand and the whiskey itself? So my vision for Cascade Hollow, this is one of the first things I kind of thought about when I started the role. Like, what's the vision? Because you got to know where you're aiming. Right. So my vision for Cascade Hollow is for us to become the most trusted distillery in America. That's oh. what I want. Right? 
So that's the the overarching vision for the company. And I think Dickel's place in that is the history, the authenticity, Mm. the idea, you know, we're just talking about how for the money this is such a good whiskey. You know, this idea that like as a as a industry nerd, as just a generic whiskey consumer, you could like trust this product. You know, that it's high quality, that you get something of value for your money, you know, that we're not pulling one over. Um, being truthful about what we're doing, so that's you know that's the that's the shining star that I'm moving towards. And then you're here in Austin. You're coming at an interesting time to a Southwest Southwest. It's just yeah, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> but what's what are some of the things that you want to cover while you're in town? I mean, barbecue, or education pieces, any of that stuff. I'm trying to just connect with like some of the you know the, especially on the retail side folks. Uh-huh. So. Um, you get the tasting at Twin mm-hmm. or the live broadcast. Yeah, at Twins. Yeah, and then yeah, and then we have the uh, the live stream from Total Wine is coming up this weekend. Oh, cool. So trying to just get some momentum going, you know, really make something happen. Like the my vision for this company, mm. nothing comes to fruition unless we grow this brand. Like there is no, you know, you ha- you have to be growing, right? Yeah. Like there is no future if we're not making something happen so i'm you know out here trying to make something happen for this brand is it difficult given that some of the other of diageo's other brands are quite successful in austin and texas in general do you think there's still room to carve out or is it it's not I just diageo it's an incredibly crowded whiskey marketplace right? it's yeah. very challenging to make your mark and and break out of the pack and really start to grow but yeah. it's definitely possible i mean sure. people are doing it and i think um in some ways, I think the crowded whiskey marketplace mm-hmm. works in our favor. Um, you know, the fact that people are, there's so many whiskeys on the shelves and they're so interesting means that people care about and are interested in whiskey. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a quality whiskey is something that consumers are interested in and there's a demand for. Yeah. Um, so just that fact is something that I need in order to grow this brand, right? Area so of you opportunity, right? Yeah. If yeah. you don't care about quality whiskey and people are just buying on the bottom shelf, well, then there's no opportunity, yeah. right? How are you going to get so, into good whiskey? Yeah, but exactly. But good whiskey and a good price, too. I mean, those are two yeah. really nice value propositions. And I don't have to convince people that whiskey is something worth paying a little bit of money for. Yeah. So um, that's, you know, a big uphill battle that's already been fought. And But it's hard to break out of the pack. It's hard to... You know, it's a lot of choice, and mm-hmm. so you you have to get consumers to choose you. It is that's challenging. It's tough. A lot of bullet fans, you know. Yeah, for sure. So it's it, but, a lot of bullet fans, a lot of makers fans, a lot of Jack Daniels fans, yeah. a lot of lots of whiskey fans. Yeah, it's a difficult thing, but I, I suspect and people got more fickle. So you know, like they're not like just drinking one brand. Yeah. So they might try your whiskey and love it, but doesn't mean they're going to come back and buy again. That's a great point too. Establishing brand loyalty, which Hard. is something that's <laughs> always difficult. Right. Part of this momentum or trying to gain traction in the brand is you guys are doing a redesign mm-hmm. on the bottles. Are mm-hmm. these on, in the market yet? The Stickle 12? They are. In? Okay, Yeah, cool. they are. Um, they are. And it's a, a little bit about talking about roots and yeah. heritage and authenticity. A little bit of a rollback to that kind of 70s label. Um, yeah. It's based on that retro design and maybe secretly a hope that we can capture the magic of that era. Man, I mean, it's always possible. It always so. we're talking about is cycles, and so design cycles, yeah. taste cycle. People yeah. are into whiskey, and Tennessee whiskey in this case more than ever. Do people think so. ever think it's, or rather, do you ever see it as being a challenge that you don't that it's not Kentucky whiskey? That it's not Kentucky? No, I think it's a challenge sometimes that it doesn't say bourbon on the label. 
Um, and that's something I've actually thought a lot about, like, mm-hmm. and how to categorize it and label it because it is bourbon whiskey. Yeah. Right. So it is bourbon. You can sub it for a bourbon. If you like bourbon, you'll like this whiskey. It mm. just has an also, right? It's bourbon whiskey that also went through the Lincoln County process. Right. I think that confuses people a bit. They think it's like a whole different category, that it's something to be treated with and engaged with differently than bourbon, definitely and that's right. a bit of a challenge. So uh, that's definitely something I think about. But, uh, you know, I don't believe that Kentucky has any special significance in the bourbon making <laughs> No, world. I think that... You, I, <laughs> what I've really thought about when I was drinking through this is that I want to blind it against Buffalo Trace specifically. Oh, I have done. And mm-hmm. I, I would love to you know, this holds test, up. I want to test my preferences a lot mm-hmm. and just do it blind because they're the same proof, mm-hmm. right? And they have the same amount of complexity or as I think they do, not going into it yet, but. I spent a fair bit of time when I first started blinding myself against some of the like category leads. Yeah. Like Buffalo, you know, and, and folks also at a similar price point. You know, like, how does this stack against, yeah. like, Makers and Jack and Woodford and Buffalo Trace? And, yeah, it was... I suspect it would be very It was surprising. eye-opening. Yeah. It was. And that's why I want to blind it. Mm-hmm. Because I don't trust myself. I can bias. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just no, but that's bias. not... Yeah. That's everybody. Yeah. It's professionals. Everyone's... Everyone. That's why marketing is so powerful. That's why I had to learn about it. That's, that's <laughs> a great point. So, we're talking about the present, but there are some great things in the future that you have in store and so you talked about some of your plans this redesign of the label and such is one of those first measures to recapture that 70 Mm -hmm. i would call it 70s flair yep that 70s the zeitgeist of that Mm -hmm. popularity right the moral haggard things you said Mm -hmm. and one of these efforts i think to bring further parody with kentucky (laughs) we can only hope is the concept of bottled and bond which is something that has existed for quite some time since the late 1800 mm-hmm. yeah it's 1897 I yeah think. like, like the bottle and bond actress passed yeah an insurance of quality an insurance of standards and production mm-hmm. and all of that what better way than to do that at Dickel? i mean that's why i picked that for my first you know the this is the first innovation that i've shepherded right yeah. so this is the first thing that i've put out of cascade hollow and for me it was like this is my statement about the values that are going to define Cascade Hollow moving forward, yeah. right? So bottle and bond is the best way to capture that, right? If you're seeing, if your goal is to build trust and the values that you have are around quality and authenticity, mm-hmm. these words are synonymous with that. It's just an obvious choice. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's try this and tell me oh, when man, exact, yeah. I mean, because I can't, I had one of the barrel selects, which was roughly 51 ABV. Yeah, and those are, those are mostly uh, nine years old. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this does this have an age statement on it? The bottle? It does. Oh, it does? Mm-hmm. This their dump bucket, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it smells different. It's different. Mm-hmm. This is it's very different. For will this be a true addition to the lineup? Yep. So this will be right. George Dickel bottled and bond. Amazing. As we know, that's a hundred proof. Mm-hmm. But no age requirements necessarily, right? Well, four years. Well, so for four, yeah, right? for bottled and bond, it has to be at least four years. Um, you don't have to put an age statement on American whiskey if it's at least four years old. Mm. Um, so I have chosen to put an age statement on it, oh. although not in the traditional way. So normally you would say, right, aged X years. Yeah. 
Um, so what I've done instead that's a bit different is uh, one of the often forgotten aspects of bottled and bond is that there's a seasonality aspect, right? Yeah, so right. you also have to be, it has to be all from the same distillery. Mm-hmm. It has to be, for, you know, 100 proof, these things that we know about, unadulterated, you know, can only introduce water. But it also has to be all from the same distilling season, yeah. which is defined quite specifically as the spring season or the fall season. So I've chose to identify the distilling season on the label. So oh, this cool. is from fall 2005. Really? So mm-hmm. 13 bo- years. 13 years. It'll be 13 years old when we bottle it. Wow. When does this finally hit as I smell this? And <laughs> it's really processing it. Um, it's meant to, you'll probably start seeing it at the beginning of summer. Oh, man. So it's just a super clean but more vibrant nose yeah. than the 12th that's the first thing right yeah i think and some of that's the proof it'll just be a little brighter right. um you know a little bit more assertive in the glass mm. Mm. right mm. oh geez so normally I don't take that much time to sip something on the mm-hmm. mic. It's like it's pretty, pretty damn self-indulgent, huh? <laughs> but man, this is so, it's so big. Keeps going. It mm-hmm. is. But it, it's weird because you only see it in a certain dim light at first <clears throat> until you keep letting it go. And then it's everything yeah. brightens up and you get full frame and the contrast and all the high definition and everything. That's a stunner. I think so. For, for Hunter Proof and yeah. for... 13 years in the spring you said of 2005 it was fall 2005 is fall the season. 2005. yeah yeah <clears throat> excuse me so something that tastes this good i would just expect it to be expensive nope see i was that was a good way because i suspect you guys will still maintain the value in the price yeah it's gonna probably hit shelf less than 40 bucks what mm-hmm. wow and you guys get plenty of it crazy you take it's this gonna around? originally it'll be an allocation when you first release it yeah um but my hope so my ambition for this whiskey is that I would continue to release additional distilling seasons. That's so, um, you know, if if it turns out there's demand for it, which yeah. I very much hope there is, um, that oh, I would release more. That's a beautiful bottle too. Yeah, is that it's, gold? gold it's leaf? a copper. Oh, yeah, copper, cool. yeah, it looks pretty nice. It looks That's really cool. really nice. Um, so it got a little bit of that kind of premiumization touches, sure. but not trying too hard. No, you don't have. Spot and bond. If the whiskey's good, you don't have to try too That's hard. That's the hope at all. Well, this is a beautiful addition, and I can't wait to see it. I know you guys have some things to do here in Austin. You got a tasting and seminar over at Moonshine Downtown, which is really a great spot. You know, mm-hmm. last thing I kind of want to touch on is I, you know, I met Dave just a few times. I, I wouldn't consider him a close friend by any means, but I know he was a titan of the industry, very influential. And I asked this question of everybody, but I want to make it a little more specific for you. You know, you let's say you're sipping this bottle and bond with Dave. What was it like to kind of sit and chat and have a drink with the guy? I mean, I worked with him for years. Right, so right. I did a lot more than sit and chat with no, him. Of I course. traveled with him. And um, at first, it's a bit intimidating. Mm. You know, he's very, he was so well known. Um, but then you get to know him as a person, you know, more than as like uh, the man, the myth. Yeah. You right. know, and um, he was a very complicated person. Really? Yeah. It's a. He seemed very, very multi-layered. I guess you he was. Say. Yeah, yeah, definitely was. I don't feel like I even as well as I knew him. There's always more that you didn't know. Yeah. 
huge loss. Do you ever? I imagine there's some inspiration that having worked with him gives you on your. I, I'm always will be grateful to him. I mean, it's because of him that I was able to quit my day job and be in this industry full time. Yeah. And he gave me that leg up. He gave me that opportunity. So, um, you know, I'll always be grateful for mm-hmm. that. And um, it, it is it is a loss, but. I don't feel sad about it. You know, he was able to accomplish so much of what he wanted to accomplish, you know, and he left a legacy and, you know, he got to know his grandkids and he he got to do a lot of what he wanted to do. Yeah. I think that that's almost greater than what a lot of us are able to do. Yeah. He left a legacy, you know, and, and however complicated, you know, he was like, he'll always, uh, he'll always be part of this industry. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And an inspiration, you know, yeah. as we continue to trek through the growth of whiskey, you know, you've got these, we sipped through three of these. And honestly, man, it just keeps getting better. Mm. With age, it keeps getting better with proof. And it just means that you started out with a hell of a white dog to begin with, right? Yeah. And very conscientious, mature stock management. And yeah. I think, yeah, I, I was pretty fortunate to walk into, especially on the production side, uh, a group that was doing a pretty pretty good job top mm. to bottom it's good and i'm glad to see you at the helm and i hope that i know that this stuff's gonna be successful oh, you, i hope you, so you Thank can't you. It, tasting like this you know what i mean good work doesn't always go unnoticed i'll put it that way i hope so i i 13 year old whiskeys were not my original plan for bottled and bond yeah. you know but i just really thought these were exceptional i i really they struck me I thought they were such a natural successor, yeah. that clear next evolution, you know, and maturity. And I really wanted to, I really want to put them out in the world. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm excited. I think everyone will be excited. Thank you. Too. Thank can't, you. I can't wait to see what you do next. I can't wait to see Wish how everybody luck. responds. Oh, Godspeed. <laughs> Thank you. You know, punk kids, we have to Stick together. remain Solidarity. united precisely. <laughs> Nicole, thank you so much for Thank coming. you. Talk soon. Cheers. So there we have it. The wonderful Nicole Austin, her first passion project on her watch the dickle bottled and bond 13 year old tennessee whiskey it is astonishing it's interesting and it's so different compared to a lot of the other bottled and bond whiskeys on the market not a lot of it to go around so if you see it please pick up a bottle at roughly 36 bucks 40 bucks really reasonable price as well nicole is a very insightful very intelligent but very fun person to be around her energy really is translated through the Dickel juice. So, Nicole, thanks so much for taking the time to sit and chat. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many times you said, I don't know if I'm going to watch Bride of Reanimator, but I'm going to do it today. Or if you're thinking, what Married with Children episode should I watch next? Please keep dancing.